let us now turn our attention to the Word of God. Um, Jeff, if you would go ahead and come on up and prepare to read for us out of God's Word. If you would, church, please stand with us out of respect for God's Word. We'll be reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Be reading verses 4 through 13 this morning. Jeff? Good morning, church. Please follow along with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. Amen. Pray with me. Fathers, we come to your word this morning. We acknowledge it is your word. It is not ours. And so just want to always pray that by your spirit, you would help our eyes to be open to what you would have for us, what you would reveal of yourself to us, how you would uh, want us to conduct our lives as your people. I pray, Father, that you would have our ears be open to hear the very specific things that you would have for each person in this room in a way that's miraculous, miraculously can only be done by your spirit. So Lord, we ask that to be the case. Father, we also pray that we recognize that it's weak vessels who come to bring the word, to, to share the word. And so Lord, in my weakness and uh, I know other men and women that will be teaching later throughout the day. In their weakness, Lord, may you be glorified. May anything that is not of you, Father, that we speak be forgotten. But Father, if it is of you, may you anchor it into our hearts. May those seeds take root into our lives by your Spirit. And so we pray these things, Lord, in your name, to your glory. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So I'm sure most of you, or at least a lot of you, know of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa is a historical figure. Uh, if you don't know much about Mother Teresa, she was a woman who gave herself up, really, really completely gave herself up to care for the sickest of the sick, the poorest of the poor, the, the very dying, the untouchables in Calcutta, India. 
And, and when I think about Mother Teresa, and not just Mother Teresa, any other historical figures around uh, in our history that have literally given up their comforts, their, their securities to go and serve the poor, it, it tends to generate in me kind of a, a question. It tends to lead me to ask the question, why? Have you ever think about that? Why would anybody give up those things? Why would anybody give up those comforts and the safety and security of our own homes, our own nations, our own worlds to go and lay ourselves down to serve people in and among the stench of death and poverty and hurt and pain and suffering and sorrow? Like, who wants to live in that day in and day out? Like, why would anybody be driven to do such a thing? Well, Mother Teresa made a statement once that I believe helps lead us to help at least begin to answer that question. Here's what she said. She says, love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action, and that action is service. I love that quote. Love cannot remain by itself. It has no meaning. Love has to be put into action, and that action into service. And as I consider that, and as you consider where we're going in the book of Colossians, because you may be going, well, aren't we supposed to be in Colossians? Why are we in 1 Corinthians, right? And as you may be, as we go forward in the book of Colossians, and we even ponder the questions that we put forward last week, which is, is the gospel going to continue through us? Is it going to continue to grow and bear fruit and increase through us? As we consider that, I feel that there's a danger for us. Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's just a danger but nonetheless, I feel that the danger is for us to talk about bearing fruit as simply something we do, an act that we do. It's something we do out of duty. It's something that we do just for action's sake, something that we discipline ourselves to do. We, we create things to go and just try to be faithful. It's a duty to do the things that we think God wants us to do. And, and here's the thing, and I want to be careful with this, because in a sense, I do suppose that's necessary in many points and at many times in our lives, because we're not supposed to be driven by our feelings, amen? Like, and all of you know, there's going to be times where you don't feel like reading the Word of God in the morning or at night. There's going to be times you don't feel like praying. You don't feel like serving. You don't feel like going to church. You don't feel like lifting your voice up to Jesus. And in those moments, it's important for us to be disciplined. It's in those moments that we are to go, okay, God, I don't feel this, but I know this is good and it's right and it's helpful for me. And so I'm going to do that in trust. But duty and discipline alone, whether it's reading the Bible or whether it's serving the poor or sharing the gospel, is not sufficient. At least it's not sufficient for long. Like that will burn you out. It will burn any of us out. And when Paul talks about the gospel bearing fruit in Colossians and increasing in the early church, the question comes, what drove that work? And just think about the early church. What drove them to do it? Did they all go to a missions conference? And hear some awesome missionary tell about their experience and, and show pictures of poor kids in the gutter in some other country or people starving to death. And did they play on our emotions and all that kind of stuff? Is that what made the church move forward at the beginning? Is that what made them risk their lives at the beginning? I mean, think about Stephen. Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 who went to serve the widows. What made him do that? Did he do it because the apostles told him to do it? Did he do it because he was afraid that if he didn't, God would be mad at him? 
Like what drove Stephen to act that way? Or, or to continue on in Stephen's story, to declare the gospel to the masses at great risk and threat to himself. Like what drove them to do it in the face of hardship, martyrdom even? What drove him as he received the first stone that hit his body as he was proclaiming the good news? What drove him to say, Lord, don't hold their sin against me? These are people murdering him. And this isn't, this isn't Jesus. This is one of his followers. Like, what is it that was the motivation behind that? What was it that drove the church to press into such radical initiative and offensive action against the darkness in Judea and Samaria and all the way to the ends of the earth? Well, just like Mother Teresa, it was love in action. Just like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. You remember that from last week. I want to read it again. Remembering, this is Paul talking about how his, he was praying for the church in Thessalonica, and he says, I was remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The toil there in Thessalonica, as well as in Colossians, was a labor of love. This is We talked about this last week, a, a labor of love, wearisome toil of love. This is what Paul witnessed, and it's what you can see in Mother Teresa. And here's the reason why we're pausing here, because before we go deeper into Colossians, we need to look more intently at what it means for us, for what it means for you and me to be engaged in a labor of love. Because if we get that foundation wrong, it's all a mess. And if we get that foundation wrong, we're going to be working from the wrong energy source in our own lives. We're going to be working from the wrong foundation from our own lives. And so we can't get this wrong. We can't. And so while we continue in Colossians, we have to build upon the foundation of love. So two things that I want to look at specifically regarding the labor of love that we see in 1 Thessalonians and we see working itself out in Colossae. What is the quality of our love, and what is the motivation of our love? So first, what is the quality of our labor? What is the quality of our love? Quality means it's the substance of a thing, isn't it? It's the quality of the thing. It's how valuable a thing is. So how is it that we, as believers, can determine the quality of our love? Well, Jesus' command in John chapter 13 gives us a hint. I'm going to look at it. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Catch a theme? Do you get the theme of what's going on here? Love one another. This is not an option that Jesus gives us. This is a command he gives us. But here in this text, it also shows the quality of it. Look at it there at the beginning. A new commandment I give to you so that you would love one another just as you feel like loving. No, no, this word is really important. Just as what? Just as Jesus loved. He is the standard. 
Not your feelings, not what the world says, not what anybody else says. If you want to know how to love one another, you want to know what the quality of our love should look like, it's looking at Jesus. And 1 Corinthians 13, the text we read this morning, puts this into words. Each of the things in 1 Corinthians 13 are, are exemplified the life that Jesus lived when he was with us. And mother, to Mother Teresa's point, love that doesn't act patiently isn't love. Love that doesn't act kindly isn't love. Love that doesn't act gently isn't love. Love that does act boastfully isn't love. Love that does act rude isn't love. Love that insists upon its own way, even if it's something as silly as how to load the dishwasher or put your cups up in the cabinet, isn't love. Now, that's hard, isn't it? Love that gets irritable. Anybody ever felt irritable with someone just because they are in the room with you? Yeah, parents, I know you're there, right? Like, listen, that's, that's not love. It's hard for us to hear this, but that's not love. Love that resents somebody, a coworker, for example, who gets a raise that they didn't get, that's not love. Love who resents somebody because they don't work as hard as you work, and yet they get more attention for it. Like, brothers and sisters, that's not love because you can't love and resent people. Like these aspects, these things that are in 1 Corinthians 13, this is the quality of love. This is the quality of the love that we're to have. And it's hard. Jesus commands us to love. And if we're not loving like this, church, we need to say we're being disobedient. This isn't like one of those optional things where we're just like, eh, I'll throw that one out because it's hard. No, you're being disobedient to Jesus. We can see and hear this in our heads and yet still give reasons why we don't have to love this person or I don't have to love that person, or, or I'll say I love them, but I don't have to be patient with them, or I don't have to be kind to them or gentle to them. I, I, we can feel this, and it's easy to know these things in 1 Corinthians 3 and not actually live it in our lives, not actually put it into action the way Jesus did. Praise God, he didn't just say these things in theory, but he lived it with his life, amen? And we've talked about this before, but I, I think it's such an important component because it's so easy for us in the church to forget these pieces. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to get really, really practical about something very specific. And here's the thing. I, I chose something specific because, not because it's a specific discussion, but uh, no matter what I pick to give an illustration with, somebody was going to go, oh no, he's talking about me, Right? Like, but nonetheless, I wanted to give us an example of what I mean by this. See, within the church, it's easy for us to have person A. Again, stick figures. You guys love them, I know. And here, person A, like they come to church, and they want to be here at church. And when they come to church, they have a certain expectation of what they want. And so what they want is they want to look upon the stage in front of, a, in front of them, especially during a worship time. And they want to see people up on stage, and they want to see them jumping up and down and smiling and laughing and, and rejoicing in the Lord and inviting them into worship because to them, and rightfully so, to praise God is a joyous thing. Amen? Like We should see that. We should want that. And it helps stir our hearts for joy. And we should want to see that kind of engagement. But what happens when you have a person be in the same church 
who comes to church, and their thought is they want to see people on stage worshiping Jesus. Sorry, I'm going fast, so my stick figures are not very good. But they want to see people up on stage, and to them, they want those people to disappear. They want to conduct themselves with awe and reverence because they're coming before the holy God. And and they say, man, like the whole point of being here is not to fix my eyes upon the people leading on stage, but to fix my eyes upon Jesus and the King of Kings and the Holy of Holies. Let me ask you a question. Is one of them right? They both are. At times, they both are. But see, what happens in the church? Just imagine what happens in the church. If it's done right, and we're actually functioning the way that we're supposed to function as the people of God, then we will actually love one another, and we will seek to outdo one another with honor, to care for one another. To say, man, I want to see that happen, even though that's not the way I feel. I want to see that happen, because that's not the way I feel. But sadly, in the church, in this one practical thing, what do we see happen more often than not? We see person... B isn't getting what they want. We see person B saying, you know what, it's not reverent enough. It's not nice enough. It's not leading me to Jesus. And so what do we do? Instead of acting like a people who know what love is in our heads, we begin to justify all the reasons why person A is wrong. And we begin to vilify them. And we begin to say, you know what, you just don't love Jesus, and you just don't actually want to engage. And then person A starts doing the same thing, and then we start fighting back and forth, and there's enmity, and there's strife. Church, is this what God wants in the church? No. To act this way, whether it's with singing, or song, or coffee, or the way I dress, or the way you dress, or anything else in the church, brothers and sisters, hear me say, it is disobedience to God. It's disobedience to Jesus because it's not the way Jesus loved. Jesus says, die to yourself. Lay yourself down. Love is to lay yourself down. Brothers and sisters, the problem isn't that we don't know how to love. We just have a hard time exhibiting love to anybody who doesn't love us back. See, we love to love people that love us and are kind to us and are patient to us, but man, once they're enemies to us, we have a real problem. Once they hate us and malign us and they don't give us what we want, and we might even be okay with it for a while, but sooner or later we say, you know what, enough is enough. And I think about Mother Teresa again. She would be patient with people who sought her physical harm. She'd be kind to people who wanted her out of the country. She would serve those while they were dying and speaking negatively against them. She would serve them with care, cleaning their sores. This is love. When people refused to give her her way and demanded their way and even said that her way was wrong, she continued to love just like Jesus did for you and me. Love, real love, the quality love is about completely dying to ourselves because that's what Jesus did if you're like me you might be thinking like okay I, I want to do that I, I do I want to see that in the world but how in the world when I don't feel anything for this person or that person how can I actually be that or what about my enemies the people that I know don't like me how do I actually do it well I want us to turn our eyes to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. 
And when I read this verse, you may think this seems like a strange verse for this morning, but I think you'll see where I'm going. The author of Hebrews says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love. So there's our work and their love. And here's what he says, that you have shown for whose name? His name. Why? Why were the people that the author of Hebrews is talking to, why are they loving the people around them? Is it for their sake? It's for Jesus' sake. It's for his name. Brothers and sisters, if we miss, this is the primary motivation for our love, we will find ourselves running on empty tanks. This is the motivation for our love. It is a love for his name. Jesus loved like he did. And I'm going to say something that's going to rub a lot of us the wrong way. All right, so just be prepared for it. Jesus loved us like he did, not to show us our value, but to show us the value of the Father. I'm going to say that again. Jesus loved the way he did, not to show us our value, but to show us the value of the Father. That doesn't mean he did not value us. But that wasn't the primary motivation for Jesus. How do we know that? Because that's what he said. John 15, 9 talks about how Jesus loves because of the Father's love for him. The Father has loved him, so he is going to love us. John 17, in Jesus' prayer, right before he goes to death on the cross, which, by the way, is the greatest example of love for anybody else, like right before he prays that, he, he says he asked the Father to now glorify him as he is glorifying the Father. How is, what is Jesus doing at the cross? Glorifying the Father. That's his primary motivation. It's the name of the Father. Jesus' act of love for us on the cross was to bring glory to the character, nature, promises, and love of the Father, not his own. Like, like, that's hard for us in a world in which we want to put ourselves at the center of everything. God is at the center of everything. Even his love our motivations to love can oftentimes be about showing someone their value. And listen, that's not bad. My son's birthday is today. He's 12 years old, and he's getting super embarrassed right now. I want to love him because I want him to know how much he means to me, how valuable he is to my heart. And so we're going to do all kinds of things to let him know we love him today. There's nothing wrong with that. That is absolutely great. But here's the thing. That can be easy, can't it? It's easy to show love for someone we value and someone we care about. It's a lot harder to love somebody who hates you. It's a lot harder to do that. And the only right motivation for that is to love for his glory. So here, let me just get practical. When you're driving down the road and you do nothing wrong, but the person comes up next to you and flips you off, Will you be patient, kind, and gentle towards them? You don't know them. They mean nothing to you. Will you be patient, kind, and gentle toward them for Jesus' namesake? That's the motivation. That's the point. That's the desire. When someone demands their way, and they say, I'm taking my way, whether you want to give it or not, Will you become irritable with them or will you not be irritable and not be resentful, instead be patient and loving towards them? That's for his name's sake, not for them. That motivation will not hold us, brothers and sisters. At least it doesn't hold me. 
When you let someone boast to your face in pride, will you humbly show kindness? When someone demands their way, will you give it for Jesus' sake, even if it causes you harm? Luke chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus says this, the text you're probably familiar with. He says, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Brothers and sisters, this command, does this not feel like insanity? Like what? Turn my cheek to the other? Lately, he took my coat and you want me to offer my tunic too? Like, I don't, I'm not going to do that. That's foolish. That's silly. It is insanity unless you do it for his name's sake. Unless you do it to honor Jesus, who, by the way, was stricken for you. Who, by the way, church, gave his tunic so that he would be hung naked in shame upon a cross for you and for me. As they spit upon him and maligned him. Well, we love like that for the sake of his name. See, the sad thing about it is, as I talk about this, I think oftentimes, or at least it feels like oftentimes, what motivates our decisions in life is not the name of Jesus. And it's not the love of God, and it's not the love of neighbor. I'll just be on a a little bit of a soapbox here for a minute, and I don't want to be cautious here, but I think this is important. This week, this past week on Thursday night, we had a prayer gathering. You remember me mentioning that here in this space, and I said, man, I am so excited. I hope that we have as many people here on Thursday night as we have on Sunday morning, because we're going to go before the Father. We're going to love the Father by coming to his throne and praying for other people and, and lifting up his name. We had 70 people here. It broke my heart. 70 people. Now listen, you all know where you are. You know your lives. Some of you were on vacation. I get it. Some of you had, maybe you were sharing the gospel with somebody, and that's great. You know where you were, but I highly doubt that every single person in this room in that moment on Thursday night was making decisions about what they would do that night for the love of the name of Jesus. Because if we did, there'd be more than 70 of us here. And I say that not to make us feel bad or to feel guilty, but to help us see that sometimes maybe we think we're giving him the name or we're giving his name the, the thought that it deserves, but in reality we need to see that there's a lot of other things that we creep into our lives and distract us, amen? And I just want to challenge us to that. Like, Are we making decisions in our lives with his name as the primary focus? His glory as the primary thing that drives us. See, our motivation to love Him and to love others should be birthed out of a desire to glorify Him. And why, brothers and sisters, should we desire to glorify Jesus? John says it best. We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. We love because we were loved. We love him and others with this kind of quality and with this motivation because we receive and are dependent upon this kind of love every single day. Are you? I am. I need it every single day. 
Jesus wearily toiled to show us patience and truth and kindness and gentleness. He labored, not insisting on his own way to the very point of bleeding tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Like he, he didn't insist on his own way. Not my will, but yours be done. He labored to be humble. He toiled in these things. For who? The glory of God. When you and I were hateful and boastful and angry, and when we were insisting upon our way, he died for us. Scripture says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. My desire as we come to this text, as we walk away from this morning, is to understand not only what the quality of our labor should look like and, and help us to look and really consider the motivations of our own heart, but for us to also walk away understanding the quality of His labor. How many times has He exhibited patience with you? How dependent are you upon His patience? Has he been patient with you in your slowness to obey, obey? Has he been patient with you when you flat out sin against him and you know it? Has he been patient with you when you choose Netflix over time with him or trinkets over his value or the kingdom of God? And by the way, all of these I'm guilty of. Just in case you think I'm trying to stand up here and, and, and heat, but no, no. I'm guilty of all of these things and I need his patience every morning. Are you glad he's patient with you right now? Like when you came in this morning, do you recognize his patience towards you? How about kindness? What has he given to us that you don't deserve? Food, friends, home, air conditioning? Like just life in general, every single thing you and I experience from the air out in the, in the parking lot as you walk away, blowing against your skin, everything we experience is an undeserved gift of God and is evidence of his kindness towards us. This is love. We don't deserve that. How amazing is that? That's awesome. Did he boast in his righteousness and his kingship? Is that what Jesus did when he was here? Did he boast in his righteousness or did he become a servant and he served even to the point of dying on a cross? Did he insist on his own way? No, he loved us. Even now, he continues to love you and me. Even now. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 15 that we are to abide in his love, his patient, kind, gentle and boastful love. A love that is guaranteed because it, does, it is done in the name of his Father, not because you earned it or because you can maintain it. Praise God. To love like Jesus, we must see his love for us. But more than just see it, we must also obey his command to abide in his love. Everything we talk about in Colossians from this point forward is going to be pointless if we are not abiding in the love of Jesus Christ. It's all going to be a waste of time if we're not abiding in the love of Christ. Even if you walk out of the church service and you say, I'm going to do that, if you're not doing it out of abiding in Jesus and his love, you're doing it off the wrong foundation. 
And temptation can come to us to simply be content with one kind of reception of his love. Like, oh, I'm so glad Jesus loved me enough to die for me. I'll take his forgiveness for my sins, but I'm just going to keep living life the way I want to live life. Or we can be tempted to seek to maintain his love instead of living life because he already has maintained his love. Let me say that again. We can be tempted to live life in a way that seeks to maintain his love instead of living life because he has already maintained his love through the blood of Jesus. That's a big difference for us. You and I cannot love rightly without resting in his love first. Every work, every labor, every act of love must come out of abiding in the one who loved us first. Who loves us now, in this moment. And church, don't miss this. And who will love you forever more, regardless of what you've done. This is why I end with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we read this morning. Love bears all things, it believes all things, and it hopes all things. It endures all things. Here's what I wanted to press us towards. I'm going to leave you, and I'm going to leave this text up. I'd encourage you to highlight it, even memorize it. Because as you walk through life, do you, are you reminded of Christ's love for you? Are you abiding in him bearing with you? Do, do you, do you have you ever thought about how many times he has, he's born with you in your failures? He bears with you. Love bears all things. He bears your failures. He bears your, your victories, your sorrows. He bears it all. That should be encouraging to us. You never come to the end where he says, well, I can no longer bear with Darren. He's done too much. I can no longer bear with Tom or, or Sue or, or Jason or Karen. I can no longer bear with him. It's, it's gone too much. No, he says, love bears not some things, all things all your failures, all your mess-ups, all your screw-ups, all your times where you just choose not to obey, he bears it all. Do you abide in that? Do you rest in it? Or do you struggle to believe it? Do you struggle to actually live in it? See, if you doubt that, you aren't abiding in his love this morning. You're not trusting his love You're trusting your worth. You're trusting your ability to maintain his love, and you can't, which is why love bears all things. Let his all-bearing love rest on you this morning. How many times have you said, I'll never betray you again? How many times have you said, I'll never do that again? How many times have you said, the next time I'm going to be obedient, Jesus? The next time, I promise, I'll do it. How many times have you said that? And what I love about Jesus is Jesus doesn't say, no, you won't. You know why? Because he believes all things. And he knows you're going to mess up. He still treats as if this, when we say that, that that's a right and real thing that's taking place. Like he believes all things. And I'm so grateful that he does. I'm so grateful he doesn't say, well, actually, Darren, you will do that again. And until you never do it again, I'm going to stiff arm you and not let you into my presence. Isn't that what we do sometimes? 
Jesus believes all things. As a result, we as the people of God should give others the benefit of the doubt. We should expect the best from them. When they say, and when someone says they're sorry, or they say, I'll never do that again, or the next time I'll do that again, you believe them. You live as if it's absolutely true. Anybody else find that hard? That's really hard. But it's love and it's forgiveness, and that's what we're called to do. Do you want Jesus to believe you? The next time you say, I'm never going to do that again. See, you need to abide in the love of Christ to even see that come to fruition. Otherwise, you're just working in your own strength. Thirdly, if Jesus treated us as we ought, we'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't we? But he hopes for the better. He hopes for what we will become through him. Now, his hope is a little different because he actually can complete the things that he's begun, whereas we, when we're working with other people, we can hope all day long, but we can't affect anything in someone's life. But nonetheless, Jesus doesn't see you right now for only who you are today and who you've been in the past. He sees you for who you will be fully redeemed, fully restored, fully recreated. Aren't you glad? Hope, hope, or or love hopes all things. Do we hope all things? Do we look at people and only see them for who they are right now? Or do we see them for who they are right now and hope for the work of Christ in their lives for what he can make them to be? Love hopes all things. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And then the last one, love endures all things. Phrase you will see throughout the scripture, his Steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love endures forever. Ever. It endures your failures. It endures our labor of love, our works of faith. It endures our pride. It endures through our sufferings. It endures through our joys. It endures through all things. There is no end to it. So here's the point. We need to learn to rest in these truths every single day. And when those truths begin to impact us and actually be the truths we live our lives out of, then we too will begin to love the people around us. Because how can you depend upon him bearing with you and then you not bear with someone else? How can you depend upon him at the cross not insisting upon his will while you demand your will. See, we abide in these things and they truly hit us, then the Lord will work through us by His Spirit to accomplish this fruit in our lives. So if you come this morning feeling that you have tested the endurance of His love, you haven't. You can't. Because His love is patient and it is kind. It is humble. It is gentle. It is lonely, lowly. His heart endures unendingly. And I love verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love never ends. You know, we talk about faith, hope, and love. Out of the three, love is the only one that doesn't end. Faith becomes sight. Thank God that's our hope. Like, thank the Lord that faith will become sight. All the things that we trust in Him for will become seen one day. Hope ends because your hopes will be, in, will be realized one day. Love never ends. 
Right? For all of eternity, the love of Jesus Christ will constantly be being heaped upon us as his sons and as his daughters. Like what a, he will, let's put it another way. God, through Jesus, will constantly be giving himself for us for all of eternity. But that's, that's amazing. I rest in that church. Be excited for that. Let that spur you on. To wrap us up, as we move forward into Colossians, all that is to come and all of the commands that are to come should come from love. Jesus even says that if you love me, you will obey me. All of it comes from love. It's all sourced in love. Who Jesus is in our love for, uh, for him and for others. So, as we close this time, I want to ask this question. Do you know his love this morning? Do you know his love? Are you abiding in his love? Brothers and sisters, this isn't just something that leads us to salvation. This is something we need to abide in every day, and we can struggle in every day. So I ask you, brother and sister in Christ, are you abiding in his love? I ask you in this room who has never put your faith in Jesus Christ, do you know the love of Jesus? If you don't, and you've never stepped into his love, you've never seen the beauty of his love, maybe you've known about it, maybe you've heard about it, but you've never understood the depths of it. Maybe you've tried to earn his love, or maybe you've tried to justify yourself before God, and you realize you can't do that. Maybe you've just doubted, man, surely God could never love me. Surely he could never love me. He could never be patient towards me, kind towards me. Surely he could never bear me. But here's the thing. Then you're saying he's a liar. Because he says, this is what love is, and God is love. And Jesus came and did what he did to manifest, to show us his love. His love is real. It's as real as the blood of his physical body spilling upon the ground for you and for me. And it is sufficient to redeem not only your sins, but the sins of generations to come after us. The sins of many sinners to follow us. And so I close this with this. I would call you this morning to respond. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you're struggling to abide in Christ's love for you, I, I would just encourage you that as we sing a song before we move into our communion time, that as we sing that, you just make your way towards the back because we're going to have prayer counselors, pastors, and elders in the back to just talk with you. pray. So I don't want you to walk out of the space doubting the love of God for you. I don't want you to walk out of the space doubting the love of God for you. And if you're in this room this morning, man, you're like, that kind of love sounds amazing, but I don't trust it. I don't believe in it. I don't hold it. I don't have it. And I can't abide in it. Listen, Jesus wants to heap and shower his love upon you for the glory of the Father. And as we sing, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I would just challenge you this morning to do so. And you have no idea what that means or what that looks like. Just make your way as we sing to the back and our prayer counselors and, and pastors, they would love to talk with you.
would love to talk with you. I want to just invite you to pray with me real quick. Father, I know for myself, I just lay before you a confession that I don't love the way you do. Especially people that are against me, people don't like me, people that are hurtful. And yet, even as I look at this text, I am so thankful you are patient with me. I am so thankful you don't get irritable with me. <laughs> I'm so thankful you're not rude to me. I'm so thankful that you bear all things, that you believe all things and hope all things, that you endure all things in the relationship that we have because of your son. I'm so thankful that you're kind. I'm so thankful that you're gentle. Lord, I pray this morning that as we think about wanting to be a people who truly walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, I pray, Lord, that it would be founded upon your love. I pray that it would so wreck us, it would so just open our eyes to the uselessness of everything else in this world that we would only fix our eyes upon you and your love and abiding in that and constantly seek to be faithful and obedient to who you are just so we could be closer to you, just so we can more, just deeply experience your love for us. Father, stir our hearts to that. As you said, like, as we grow in our love for you, may we grow in our obedience to you. But Lord, help, help our eyes to be open to the endlessness of your love, the greatness of your love the beauty of your love. I pray that for my brothers and sisters this morning that are struggling to believe that you could love them after the 5,000th time that they lost their temper or the 5,000th time that they, they, they sought the world's pleasures over you. I pray that you would help them to abide this morning in that. I pray, Father, for those in this, this morning that are in this room that don't know your love. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help them to see your love through Jesus. I pray that they would see it. I pray that by your spirit they would long for it. I pray that by your spirit you would, you would call them to yourself. I pray, Father, that you would give them boldness to step out even this morning as we sing this song. Talk with one of our prayer counselors. Father, as we continue in our worship, Lord, may we just fix our eyes upon you in the next few moment moments to be reminded of your love. I pray these things in your name.